Holy knew you. Holy knew you. That's what we're after. And it starts with this phrase. I probably have said it at least once or twice before. But we need to remember. We need to remember our baptism. We need to remember where we came from. We need to remember where we're going. But we need to remember where we are. Simple little phrase. I'm not what I should be. I'm not what I could be. But I'm not what I was. A simple statement but pregnant with meaning. All of us have faults, things that remind us that we are human. All of us need something greater than ourselves to make us whole. And all of us can thank God that through Christ we can be changed. That whatever we were can be changed. Perfected? Maybe not in this world, but certainly in the next. But right now, are you different? Are you better? Because you're forgiven? I would hope you would say yes. Now you see that change that changes what we call conversion. And regardless of what you've been taught about conversion and what that is, here's the thing. For real conversion to happen, real change must happen. My guess is you would like to change some things coming into this new year in 2022. While we want a happy new year... God wants a happy new you. Now, there are some people who think in what we'll say and sometimes grouse that resolutions aren't biblical. There's nothing in the Bible about doing New Year's resolutions or rah, 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 rah. Well, that may be true. There may be nothing about New Year's resolutions. But the concept of resolution is all over Scripture. In fact, just a couple of places Psalm 17:3 Though you probe my heart and examine me at night though you test me you will find nothing I have resolved that my mouth will not sin do you see the word do you see the concept of resolution there Daniel 1:8 But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission to not defile himself in that way. New Testament, I can go all over the place, but we're just hitting a few. I'm just trying to put the concept down. Paul, 1 Corinthians in chapter 2, we read, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you hear what Paul is saying, do you know anyone in the course of history that ever made the resolution to turn to truth when he knew truth was in a different path than the one he was on and then humbly adjusted? Paul uses that same word. And here's an interesting one. I'm just throwing this one in for free. Luke 9 Jesus, uh, Jesus, at the time he 
uh, approached him to be taken to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Because you see the way Luke tells the story, Jesus knew exactly where he was headed and exactly what was going on, and he had a choice, and he chose to turn into where the Father wanted him to go. And he did it with resolve. Let me ask you, what have you resolved in your life? Have you ever resolved to follow God's will, knowing exactly where it's going to take you? That it's going to take you to your own cross? Paul calls us to resolution, especially in, um, in Ephesians. Now, when we're looking at it there in Ephesians 5, which is where we're going to spend the, the bulk of today, um, we call it self-examination. But he calls us to resolution. In Ephesians 4.1, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And to do that means that you're turning from a different life, yes, into a new way. In Ephesians 5 begins, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. He's calling us to imitate our father as a child imitates his father. And then Paul moves on to the importance of sexual purity and avoiding the deeds of darkness because light makes everything visible. In Ephesians 5.14 he says, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. And then the three verses we're going to really be on for a while today, verse 15 through 17. He says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are what? The days are, that's true in the day when Paul was writing this, yes? Is it true today, yes or no? Yes. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. So here's kind of my central thought for the day. Since our time is limited, let's make the most of the time we have left. We can do that in several different ways that Paul talks about just in those three verses. There in verse 15, he has this salutation where he says, you need to live wisely. He says, be careful, stay safe. That word careful is to be skillful or to be on guard, um, to be exacting, exacting, to do something with accuracy, okay? In other words, this verse could be translated as, be constantly taking heed, Therefore, how accurately you conduct yourself. Examine that you are doing what you know to do to the best 
of your ability. Kind of the thought that's there. It's the idea of a marksman who is careful to take aim so that when he releases the string, when he pulls the trigger, when he releases the rock, it hits his target. It's that idea. And the emphasis is continual attention. It's an active thing to be constantly careful of how we are walking in our spiritual life. The writer of Hebrews uses this same word in Hebrews 3.12. It's exactly the same word. It gets translated as see to it. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. And it's that same word Paul has used to be careful, to be exacting. So, live wisely. Second thing, leverage your time. There in verse 16, he says, make the most of every opportunity. That idea of making the most And this is a great time of year to talk about this because for the last month and probably especially the last week, and if you're like me, Friday, you were out trying to find a bargain, right? You were seeking what it was that would make someone else happy and you're looking for it, not just to have it, but to have it at the best price that you can get it. That's kind of the idea here of making the most. It's that idea of buying up a bargain before it's too late. That's what my sister Celeste likes to do. She likes to have all of her Christmas shopping done by November. I am not that person, (laughs) But maybe you know somebody that is looking all through the year for that best price on something they know someone else will enjoy. Now, over the next couple of days, and I realize there are people who are already beating you to the, to, to the bargains today, the after Christmas shopping, because you're here. God bless you for that. But are any of y'all tempted to actually buy Christmas lights now? After Christmas, because of the price drop for next year, or maybe even if you're you're you like a an artificial tree, you're going to be looking for a a Christmas tree at a discount price. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, what you're doing is you're making the most of the bargain at hand. Likewise, where to buy time before it's too late, because friend. Like it or not, our time is limited. There are some of us that are here today that by this day, next year, will no longer be here. I don't know who you are, but I do know of young people who have died in car crashes old people who were strong, who got sick and died unexpectedly. I know of a 47-year-old who just died in his sleep for no apparent reason. Are you making the most of every opportunity that you have? Will you be doing that this next year? Maybe this is the hour of your salvation. 
Psalm 90, verse 12. You're probably familiar with this one. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. What is that saying? Live today, but live today to its fullest. That's the positive. Do what you can today for the Lord. Look for the divine appointments that he puts in your path. Opportunities to speak his name to someone who who may have heard it before but needs to hear someone else, someone with a different perspective. Billy Graham, you guys know Billy Graham died this past year and he had a wonderful ministry and he died what we would consider to be in old age. But when Billy Graham was asked what surprised him the most about life, you know what he answered? Two words. He said, it's brevity. Have you ever been guilty like me of saying the phrase, I'm just killing time? I don't know about y'all, but I like to do things like hang out where there's fishing gear and hang out where there's musical instruments. And most of the time I go in there, I'm not going in there to buy anything. I'm just going in there to look. And there's this temptation that comes when somebody comes to ask me, can I help you with anything? I'll go, no, I'm just... Killing time. I wonder if you might be willing to join me in the effort of not using that phrase. But when it comes to mind, yes, you may need a break and you may be taking the break. And that is okay. But when that phrase comes to mind... How about looking around the room and making sure you're not there because there's somebody who needs to hear a word from the Lord and that God's actually put you in a place for a divine appointment and you just haven't realized it yet. You see, God doesn't want us to kill our time. He wants us to fill our time. Wasting the gift of time can be seen as an insult to the giver. The only piece of eternity that we really hold in our hand is the opportunities that he gives us at hand right now. So, we need to live wisely And we need to leverage our time. And we also need to learn what God's will is for us. And at different points in your life, it's going to be different things. There's going to be different divine appointments that he brings up. In Ephesians 5.17, it says to understand what the Lord's will is. I can't tell you specifically what that is for your life because honestly, I don't know what it is in my life until sometimes when he reveals it. And sometimes I'm going this way and I need to go that way. But the Lord's will, I can tell you, 
is that we all live today for him. And should he give us the blessing of tomorrow, we are to live tomorrow for him. Ephesians 2.10 reminds us that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. This comes from the NIV. I like the way Eugene Peterson puts the end of verse 10 where Peterson in the message says uh, he has prepared stuff for us to do that we better be doing. Peterson gets the force of that language very clearly. He is working and he has prepared stuff for you to do this year. It's a marvelous thing. Will you be willing to do it? Now last week I I talked about Savior and I went pretty in depth on that word and on Lord and Christ as well. We like Savior because it, it tends to make us feel like we're special and that, that, that he did it for us. But as we explained last week, the focus of Scripture is not on that. What is it? It is on him being king, yes? And on our serving him as our master. To a large extent, the Christian life is really not a focus on what Christ has done for us, but on what we are doing because of what he did for us. You hear the difference? Yeah. So, it is the Lord's will that we be transformed, that he be king and Lord. Every now and again, you're going to come across somebody that's going to wonder whether or not God can really change their life. Mike, a 27-year-old man, came and knocked on my door uh, in Virginia. And um, in really in talking with him, he was more looking for a handout than a hand up. But what I did was I gave him my time, and we started talking about stuff. And when he realized that I wasn't just going to shove him out of the office, but I was really interested in him, he started telling me some things about his life. And he was saying, I I just don't get this whole Jesus thing. He said, because, you know, I, I gave my life over to Jesus the first time I was in prison, And I'm out now after, obviously, the second time. And the woman that I'm living with and I were just having so much problems in our life. And I just don't understand. I gave myself over to Jesus. Why doesn't he clean me up? Why doesn't he make me better? And I looked at him and I said, well, I think it's because you've got to you got a little a little problem with understanding here. See, he's not Savior if he's not Lord. And the problem is, is nobody's taught you about lordship. 
Nobody's taught you about the fact that you have been bought with a price and you've come into covenant with him. And coming into covenant means you have to change your life in order for him to change your life. You have to change direction. And when you do, it's like that prodigal son that when he turned and he headed towards his father's house, his father was waiting, looking every day, scanning the road. And when he saw his son, what did he do? He ran to him and gave him every opportunity that he could give for them to change their life. That boy still repented. He still came back humble. But the father met him more than halfway. And I said, Mike, this is your problem. You understand Savior, but you've never heard about Lord. And what you do matters. And he looked at me with a stunned face and he said, nobody's ever told me that before. Never saw him again. But I hope I gave him more than what he had come looking for because I tried to share a little life with him. But friends, he is not Savior if he is not also Lord. Some of you here today secretly may still be waiting for God to change you. Have you made him Lord of your life? Have you submitted to him? One of the biggest problems we face today is religion without changed lives. When immoral people make him Lord, they stop sleeping around. When drunks make him Lord, they leave the bottle behind. When malicious people make him Lord, they become kind. When gossips make him Lord, they change their patterns of speech. When we stop trying to be the Lord of our own life and we let him be king, friends, that change is noticeable and it's undeniable. For me, it was radical and it's a genuine change there's an old adage you may or may not have heard it but it goes something like this God does not steer parked cars if you are seeking him diligently he has promised that you will find him if you want God to guide you, start moving toward him. God wants a holy new you. True conversion does not mean that we will always be perfect. 
We will fail in our walk, but we do not have to live the way we used to. What it means is we are in a process, a process that can be simply stated as this. I'm not what I should be. I'm not what I could be, but I'm not what I was. So, in 2022, I want to wish you a happy new you. Will you give your life over to him today? Father God, we thank you for all that you have done. And you think, give us the opportunity to choose you. You allow us free will and you allow us to make our own decisions but you have absolutely also allowed us a choice by making it obvious that you love us, that you want us regardless of who we've been and you will make us new again. And that father fills us with joy. We thank you for the Christ. We thank you for the joy of the season. And we thank you for the hope that is ours. And it's in Jesus' name.